the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. We talk about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews. We talk about world religions. We talk about the past which includes history, we talk about the future, which includes prophecy, and we talk about the here and the now. If you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. I've been talking a little bit about, well, the very famous Puritan preacher, Jonathan Edwards. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, he might be the smartest person ever born on the North American continent. And of course, if there's a rival for that austere or that, that title, I might give it to, well, um, um, George Washington Carver. He would be a, a good candidate. But we were talking a little bit about the news, too. But if you'd like to join me on this Tough Question Tuesday, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. Lots going on in the news, including uh, Maine's Secretary of State has removed the former President Donald Trump from the 2024 ballot. And according to the New York Post, the main Democrat who moved to boot the former president off the ballot from the state's Republican primary uh, visited the White House twice in the past year, meeting with President Joe Biden during one jaunt and reportedly once referred to the Electoral College as a relic of white supremacy. Well, that might be a little red flag uh, of a person who embraces ideological social justice. CBS says Maine is the second state to bar Trump from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, a decision the Trump campaign said it would appeal. And it's the only state where a challenge to a candidate's qualification is initially the responsibility of the Secretary of State rather than a court, according to CBS. And Benny Johnson, uh, so even CNN's senior legal analyst, Benny Johnson, is saying that the main Secretary of State, Sheena Bellows, that her ruling removing Trump from the ballot is based off things she saw on YouTube clips and would never pass the bar in normal court. Also, she's not even a lawyer. Colin Rugg, Maine State Representative John Andrews, signals move to impeach Maine's Secretary of State Sheena Bellows for stripping Trump from the ballot. But again, 
it's all that's what you have to look forward to this year in 2024. It is going to be one of those free for all election years. And um, as we look at what's going on in the great big world, it's hard to take our eyes off the southern border. And again, the number is 303-873-1935 if you want to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. And Town Hall's reporting that December turned out to be, well, oddly enough, it was supposed to be the fewest amount of border crossers, illegal aliens, Instead, it saw a glass-shattering number, a record-breaking number of illegal aliens storming into the United States, 276,000 apprehensions. It's the highest ever on record. According to the Customs and Border Protection sources, the December record came just one month after November's previously record of a quarter of a million border encounters. And as 2023 came to an abrupt end, Republicans are taking the opportunity to remind the current President Joe Biden of what he has done to the nation's borders and what he refuses to do. There's an article posted in Town Hall. Bill Malugan said, we are now at over 760,000 migrant encounters since October 1st, making the first quarter of the fiscal year 2024 the highest ever recorded. Now, put it in perspective. That's a population bigger than the entire city of Seattle in just three months. Representative David Swikert said the highest single month ever recorded. Let that sink in. The Biden administration's open border policies helped facilitate this chaos. He wrote in X, formerly Twitter, We need border security now. House Homeland GOP Mayorkas border crisis is breaking its own records, and Americans are paying the cost. He writes, it's hard not to disagree. Accountability is coming. And, of course, many of you are aware that Harvard's uh, President Claudine Gay just resigned. And um, it's interesting, Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a Republican presidential candidate, did you know this? He, he posted on what was formerly Twitter, now X. He posted that he was one of three students appointed to the advisory board to select Harvard's new president in 2007 after Larry Summers was forced to resign after his supposedly misogynistic comments, which were badly distorted, he, he writes. And then he says, back then it was a foreordained conclusion 
that the next president would be a woman. No questions asked. Shut up. Sit down. Do as you're told. And it was a thinly veiled exercise in race and gender when they selected Claudine Gay. Here's a radical idea for the future. Vivek Ramaswamy writes, select leadership based on merit. He writes, it's a great approach, actually. Can you imagine picking leaders based on merit? How interesting. 303-873-1935 on this January 2nd, if you'd like to join me on the program. It's easy to do. You just pick up that phone. You dial the number 303-873-1935, And, of course, friendly uh, producer Jim is standing by to take your call, 303-873-1935. In 1788, poet Robbie Burns, Robert Burns, he published an ancient Scottish folk song. It's called Old Lang Syne." You know that song. There was another poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Auf Wiedersehen, meaning until we meet again. Hey, I'll be back. Taking your calls, answering your questions, 303-873-1935. Hey, Happy New Year. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to join me on the program, the number is 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. And I know as a listener, you go, well, Gina, you're all over the board. Well, yeah. It's Tough Question Tuesday. If you'd like to ask me a tough question, it's 303-873-1935, We've reached into the deep past with Jonathan Edwards and his resolutions. But if you fast forward to the night of January 2nd, 1777, well, there is an interesting story on this day in history, January number two, 1777, Washington left his campfires burning and marched his army around the back of a portion of Cornwallis's army, the 1400 British troops camped at Princeton, New Jersey. Now, I think this is interesting because of Harvard's president resigning today. There was another great victory on January 2nd. Frederick the Great of Prussia called these 10 days the most brilliant in the world's history. After winning the Battle of Trenton Christmas Day evening, 1776, George Washington's 1,200-man force faced General Cornwallis's army of 4,500 British soldiers. Washington was fighting, in a very real sense, 
the army of a globalist king of Brit of Great Britain. And by the way, at this point, it was the most powerful military on the planet Earth the night of January 2nd, 1777. And it was on this night that George Washington ordered his soldiers to march in absolute silence, even wrapping their guns with heavy cloth to lessen the noise of troop movement. And British commander Lord Cornwallis ordered Colonel Mawood to join his regiments to the rest of the British Army. This providentially resulted in the British ceasing to patrol the very roads that Washington was marching on. And at daybreak on January 3rd, 1777, Washington attacked the British from behind. This is this was similar to what the British did to the Americans at the Battle of Brooklyn Heights a, a little over four months earlier. And at the Battle of Princeton, the surprised British troops immediately fought back, sending forth a bayonet charge, which killed dozens of American soldiers. And one of those killed was a man named General Hugh Mercer, who had fought with Washington in the French and Indian War and at the Battle of Trenton. Hugh Mercer's descendants included World War II General George Patton. After Mercer was killed, the British pressed their counterattack, and the American militia under General John Cadwallader began to panic and flee. And to stop the retreat, General George Washington immediately rode to the front of the line and ordered the soldiers to stop running away. He commanded them to turn around and follow him back to the front lines. And Washington made, he rode extremely close to the British within just 30 yards. Turning and facing his men, Washington yelled, yelled, Halt! Aim! Fire! And the British immediately fired a volley in return. And the field of battle was filled with a cloud of smoke. And many thought Washington was surely shot as he was exposed to fire on both sides. And Irishman John Fitzgerald, who was an American aide-de-camp, pulled down his hat to cover his eyes because he didn't want to see Washington killed. But when the smoke cleared to their dismay, Washington was still on his horse, waving the men to charge ahead. And the Americans charged and won what became known as the Battle of Princeton. It was estimated that 100 British were killed or wounded and over 300 captured, as only 23 Americans were killed and 20 wounded. And enthusiasm swept America. And even though it took seven more years of fighting till the Revolutionary War ended, it was that battle which was a major turning point. 
You know, it's interesting to me. Can you imagine on January 2nd, 2024, as we look back in history and we think ahead to the future, what might the future hold for us? It's been my experience that God doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us. Now, obviously, that isn't completely true because God has told us in his word what will happen in the future. There's little breadcrumbs of revelation that speak of a future, a future that will unfold. And all of the gospel writers agree that Jesus Christ will return. But there's going to be a series of events that unfold prior to the second coming of Jesus. You know, when I look back on history and I think about the historical questions that have been asked about pain and suffering and the future, the Lord doesn't always give us what some people would call a satisfying explanation. The Lord doesn't always tell us what's going to happen, but he shows up and he reveals his character or what some might call his attributes. So 303-873, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. It's easy to do. You pick up the phone, you dial the number 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And by the way, the equestrian statue at Washington Circle in Washington, D.C. depicts General Washington at the Battle of Princeton. At the statue's dedication in 1860, sculptor Clark Mills stated, quote, At the Battle of Princeton, where Washington, after several ineffectual attempts to rally his troops, advanced so near the enemy's lines that his horse refused to go further, but stood and trembled while the brave rider sat undaunted with reins in hand. But while his noble horse is represented thus terror-stricken, The dauntless hero is calm and dignified, ever believing himself the instrument in the hand of providence to work out the great problem of liberty, unquote. When I think about that, I'm reminded that the historical figure, Jesus, who lived and died and came back to life, left us with a record of what's going to happen in the future. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. So glad you could join me. It's 303-873-1935. That's the number on this Tough Question Tuesday if you'd like to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. I was talking 
a little bit about um, some of the great big news stories of 2023, what we have to look forward to in 2024. Um, We've got some new questions posted at gotquestions.org. And some of these questions are really, really interesting. And one of the questions that's been asked is, is digital evangelism or online evangelism effective? What an interesting question. What an interesting question, because obviously digital evangelism, online evangelism wouldn't have been a question that would have been uh, asked um, until only recently. And so digital evangelism involves using the Internet, social media, mobile applications, and websites to share the message of salvation in Jesus, make Christian disciples, further the work of the kingdom. And um, what's interesting, again, about the article and about its answer is that between 2010 and 2014, some of the world's largest evangelistic organizations including the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Global Media Outreach, began shifting their focus and resources from live audiences to online evangelism. And as a result, these ministries claim to be making a greater impact around the world than ever before with the most considerable advantage being the ability to, and I'm quoting evangelism, uh, do digital decisions disciple from Christianity Today International from 2015. It says, quote, to engage people's hearts anytime, anywhere, unquote. Now, that's interesting to me because it used to be that you had to be in the right place at the right time to hear the right message. But imagine you turn on your radio, you hear me, you go to the podcast or um, at 94.7 FM, the word, and you can listen anytime. But again, you can go online these days and you can get almost anything from anyone at any time of the day or the night. And so since the early days of the Christian church, evangelism methods have adapted, making the most of every possible opportunity and means of communication available. Jesus connected with people one-on-one in John chapter 3. You'll remember in John chapter 3, he speaks to Nicodemus one-on-one. Jesus speaks to individuals, the woman at the well. Jesus speaks to large crowds in Matthew chapter 4. And the earliest disciples preached in the synagogues where the people were gathered. The disciples would preach in the streets in Acts 17. 
They would preach in people's homes in Acts chapter 10. They would also use handwritten literature in John chapter 20, verse 30, and Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. They would write letters. You, If you have a Bible, you have those letters. Think about Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul talks about a letter. And by the way, the church in Colossae and the church in Laodicea were probably maybe six or seven miles apart. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 27, Paul writes, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Isn't that interesting? Paul, in the letter, says, in a very real sense, make a promise to read it to each other. And so they went to individuals, they went to groups, they went to homes, they wrote letters in order to reach the remote areas to share the gospel with the broadest possible audience. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, the apostle Paul outlined his evangelism strategy. Here it is. Use every means available. Quoting Paul, so that by all means, Paul says, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That's in verses 22 and 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So until the 15th century, the lion's share of evangelism was done through in-person preaching and in-person teaching and personal witnessing. However, with the invention and the advancement of the printing press, Christian evangelism was revolutionized, eventually putting books and Bibles and tracts and other Christian materials and magazines into the hands of literate people worldwide. And then there were other electronic breakthroughs that widened the field for Christians to use, well, radio, television, and film to spread the gospel. And so with today's technological advancements, it's easy to understand why digital evangelism has become a popular trend in Christian outreach strategies. Presently, more people are online than ever before. According to Statista.com, this is where you have statistics, Statista, S-T-A-T-I-S-T-A dot com, about 5 billion people, that's 66% of the world's population 
use the Internet daily. Isn't that an amazing statistic? Isn't that an amazing statistic? 303-873-1935, that's my number if you want to join me on the program. And, of course, the average American spends about, can you believe this? This is startling. This is shocking. The average American spends about seven hours a day online. And so if we want to reach the people of today, it makes perfect, perfect sense that we're going to use digital resources in our evangelistic endeavors. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Make disciples of all nations. So, of course, can you make disciples online? And at what point does discipleship enter into the very real world? Maybe the very real world is in part in today's culture and society, the online world. It has at least an element of reality. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you could join me for the new year. It's 303-873-1935. I was talking about online evangelism. It's such an interesting um, thing. But, you know, I was reading a headline at, um, well, it was at Wired by, um, her name is Caitlin Harrington. And she writes an article about, um, this is, this is the headline. AI may not steal your job, but it could stop you from getting hired. And she writes, this is Caitlin Harrington, she writes, in her new book, The Algorithm, journalist Hilke Shellman investigates software that automates resume screening and promotion recommendations. And it goes on saying, raising concerns about discrimination. Now, what's interesting about that is that's exactly right. In other words, the candidates is going to be based on an algorithm that is going to be set in their brain about what is it that we're looking for. Um, She says, quote, if you're worried that candidate screening algorithms could be standing between you and your dream job, she says, reading Hilke Shellman's The Algorithm Won't Ease Your Mind. The investigative reporter and, and NYU journalism professor's new book demystifies how HR departments use automation software that not only propagate bias, but fail at the very thing they claim to do. Find the best candidate for the job. Now, what's interesting even about that statement Finding the best candidate for the job, are they finding the candidate based on merit and ability 
or something else, some philosophical, ideological worldview frame of reference. So I'm back to the issue of digital evangelism, online evangelism, and is it effective? And before we went to the break, I talked about the statistic that's on statista.com. That's statista.com, where it says that presently more people are online than ever before on on the in the history of the planet Earth. Now think about this. Eight billion people live somewhere on the surface of our planet. About five billion, that's 66% of the world's population, is using the Internet daily. Now, this article at Statista.com was accessed on November 6th, 2023. So the average American spends about seven hours a day online. And so it makes perfect sense that if you want to reach people that you're going to use digital resources. But Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which seems to indicate that there's going to need to be some in-person follow-up. And so our potential to fulfill the Great Commission has exponentially increased through the use of the Internet, allowing believers to connect with people almost anywhere in the world, even the most restricted nations. Now pause and think about that. In other words, there are places that are blocked, like Saudi Arabia, North Korea, Afghanistan, certain places in China. But there are people, smart people, resourceful people, learning how to get in touch with each other. And with artificial intelligence and things like Google applications and other translation applications, you can literally translate from Russian, Arabic, Mandarin to your language. Or if your language is one of those languages, to another language. An additional benefit of online evangelism is that it costs less than most other outreaches. In 2015, GMO reported spending less than five cents for each digital exposure to the gospel. That, according to Christianity Today. Isn't that interesting? But, again, many Christians believe face-to-face encounters like door-to-door witnessing, street preaching, live crusades, church services, 
or any method of one-on-one relationship-based evangelism is more effective than digital evangelism because such approaches allow for personal connections and follow-up and discipleship support. So is it really an either-or proposition? Now, don't get me wrong. I've participated in door-to-door witnessing and street preaching and in live crusades and, of course, in church services and on one-on-one. But that doesn't mean that I'm ready to not only not abandon digital evangelism, but to ask and answer the question, how can we make it more effective? Opponents of online evangelism say that accepting Christ by clicking a button can lead to a false expectation about salvation and one's relationship with God. That converts may lack physical role models or a sense of community or a connection to the body of Christ. I think those are legitimate concerns. So how do you have a physical role model? How do you have a sense of community and connection to the body of Christ? I think we're living in an age where more and more people are content to watch service online or to hear on radio or some other media outlet. But there are people. I think we're hardwired as social creatures to interact with one another. Most ministries that embrace digital evangelism recognize the limitations of the internet. I am thinking of our own ministry, gotquestions.org, and my ministry of um, Scripture says. Now, there is a a physical uh, component and there's a digital component. The World Wide Web really is a tool. It's a temporary tool. Or maybe it's a kind of a tool that's here to stay. But like so many tools, I'm wondering if this, it has a limited lifespan, that there might be something else coming down the road. But the local church, the body of Christ, is the invention of Jesus. And it's here to stay. Hey, thanks for joining me. I'll be back hopefully, prayerfully tomorrow, taking your calls, answering your questions. Thanks for joining me. Jim. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.